All right, good morning, Central. How are you guys? You look fantastic. Hey, do me a favor. Open your Bibles this morning to the book of Galatians, New Testament, chapter 5. We're going to jump in there in just a second. If you're joining us uh, online this morning, whether that's our, our website or our Facebook Live page, we're so glad you're joining us. And welcome to the downtown campus, Pastor Bill and Anya and your team down there. We love you guys. We're glad you're joining us for this conclusion to the free series in the book of Galatians. Thanks for, for being a part. Um, let's pray together. Lord, as we approach your word, we do so with humility, recognizing that it is our, uh, our authority and our absolute rule of conduct. We thank you, Lord, for the ministry of the Holy Spirit that works in us, that, that leads us and guides us in truth. And so, Lord, we need your help this morning to understand the scriptures. So in this moment, Holy Spirit, would you supernaturally give us eyes to see and, and minds that can understand and comprehend the truth of the word so that we can apply it in our lives. In Christ's name, amen. All right, we are bringing to conclusion this series called Free. It's been a study in the book of Galatians. So if you're struggling to find Galatians, again, uh, find the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, skip through the Gospels, the history book of Acts. Then you're into Paul's letters and just go through, keep going to the right and you'll find the, the letter, Paul's letter to the book, uh, to the church of Galatia. All right, um, I, I'm, a, I'm a pretty competitive person. Any competitive people out here? Yeah, come on, be honest. Yeah, okay. So, and, and that can be good and bad. Uh, I love competing, but, but a competitive nature can be positive or negative. It can be constructive or destructive. If your competitive nature drives you to improve an area of your life, then it can be really positive uh, if, it, if it helps you get better at something. So um, I completely overachieved in basketball when I was in high school. I, I was not very talented. I wasn't the most talented player, but, but I literally worked myself into a college scholarship. Um, that, that competitive nature in me drove me to become the best that I could possibly be. So in that sense, my, my competitive nature was good because it, it helped me to accomplish something that I, that I wanted to accomplish. A, a competitive nature can be bad if the focus of that is just to be better than other people. If, if we're driven to be you know, smarter or, or better than other people, because God never created us to be better than other people. Did you know that? Even though that, that's what drives a lot of us is, is I want to be better than them, I'm, I'm jealous of them or whatever, that's not what God created you for. God created you and me to be the best version of us. And, and God created us to serve people. And if you're competing against people, it's going to be really hard to serve them. So I had, I had trouble often in my life with competitiveness because it, it, it led me to want to put other people down and put myself up. So I wasn't, I wasn't a very good servant to people because I wanted to be better than them. I don't know if that makes sense to you. That's not what God called us to. And so last week, Haley, how many thought Haley did an out, outstanding job last week? I, I watched the video, she was amazing. And she led us through chapter five. And in chapter five, she, she said that uh, in this series on free, there's, there's something each week we've said the Holy Spirit frees you from or frees you to. And last week she said that the Holy Spirit frees us from selfishness or self-centeredness so that we can walk in love. This week we're gonna talk about the fact that the Holy Spirit frees us to serve others. The Holy Spirit frees us to serve others. It's like in, in chapter five, we got this picture of the Holy Spirit. 
his, his nature, his character, uh, his ministry, you know, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, and, 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 and sort of uh, this overview of, of what the Holy Spirit's like and therefore what we can be like. In chapter 6, beginning at the end of chapter 5 and chapter 6, we're going to learn um, what we're supposed to do with that. In other words, the question I'm asking today is, what does a, a Spirit-filled person look like? What does a spirit, Holy Spirit-empowered Christian live like? What is that like? And that's the question we want to address this morning. So if you're in Galatians chapter 5, we're going to jump into verse 25 together. Paul begins by saying this, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. What does he mean there? If, if we live by the Spirit, that means if, if the Holy Spirit has given us life, if we've become alive spiritually through the agent of the Holy Spirit, if, if we're alive by the Holy Spirit, then we should live under the, the direction or leadership or governance of the Holy Spirit. In other words, Paul is saying, hey, if you're Christians, if you've been given the Holy Spirit and you are now alive to God and you have the Holy Spirit, then, then you are to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit in every step of your life. Another version says we're to stay in step with the Holy Spirit. So as Christians, you not only get the Holy Spirit and get to be alive spiritually and get to know God, but now you're under the leadership of the Holy Spirit in your life. Verse 26, Paul says, let's not become, now he gives us three commands, three negative commands of things that we're not supposed to do. So let us not become boastful, bragging about ourselves, provoking one another, saying things, doing things that irritate people, that, that put people on the defensive or, or anger them. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another or envying one another, uh, despising people for the fact that they're better than us in something. They're more attractive, they're smarter, they're better athletes, they're better in school. We, we get jealous when people have things that we don't have that we wish we did have. The problem with those three things, bragging, provoking people, and um, uh, envying or jealous, being jealous of people, is that it makes it almost impossible to serve people. Because if you're competing against people, you're not gonna serve them. If you're constantly bragging about yourself, it's to make you look better than someone else. If you're constantly provoking people, it's because you, you want to have the upper, the upper hand, or if you're envying them, that's a sign. So Paul is saying you've got to avoid these things in order to have the power of the Spirit to serve people, and that's, that's where we want to go. Do you, do you know what, what, what Paul means, or anybody in the New Testament, when they say don't do something? Well, yeah, don't do it. That's what they mean. But do you know what else they mean? It means that you have the power not to. The Holy Spirit has set you free to not brag about yourself. You don't have to anymore. The Holy Spirit has set you free to not do things and say things that anger people or provoke them to anger or, or whatever. You have the power now in the Holy Spirit not to be jealous, to realize you're not competing against people. And so if you have the power to not do those things, then you also have the power to serve people. You're free in the Holy Spirit to serve them. Verse 6, cha chapter 6, verse 1. Paul says, brothers and sisters, even if a person, if someone is caught in a sin or a trespass or a wrongdoing, you who are spiritual are to restore such a person in a spirit of gentleness. Let me, let me back up. When Paul says, you who are spiritual... He doesn't necessarily mean spiritually mature. 
He doesn't mean the few people in the church that are really mature or the leaders or the pastors. He's not singling out an elite group. What he means there is those of you who are of the Spirit, those of you that have received the Spirit, those of you who are Spirit-led and Spirit-filled people, everything he's about to say is for you. In other words, if you're a Christian, this is for you. Those who are spiritual are to restore a person caught in sin but with a spirit, excuse me, a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you're not tempted as well. Verse two, Paul goes on with the, the, the qualifications or the qualities of a, of a spirit-filled person to bear or carry other people's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? Because Paul's been telling us in this whole letter, we're free from the law. We're free from the Mosaic law. We're, we're free from the Jewish law. So what is the law of Christ? The law of Christ is not a new code of ethics that we have to follow. The the law of Christ, when Paul uses that phrase, is simply the leadership or governance of the Holy Spirit in your life. So now you're you're led by the Holy Spirit. Now you're led by the the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And as you do that, you you are fulfilling the law of Christ or the law of the Spirit. Verse three, if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. But each one, each person must examine himself or his own work, and then he will will have reason for boasting, but to himself alone and, and not in comparison to someone else. For each person will bear his own load. We're all responsible for our own struggles and sins and problems and accountable to God for those. Verse six, the one who is taught the word by pastors or teachers or spiritual leaders, the one who is taught is supposed to share all good things with the one who teaches. Verse seven, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a person sows or plants, this he will also reap or harvest. The one who sows to his own flesh will reap destruction from the flesh. But the one who sows to the spirit will reap eternal life from the Holy Spirit. Let's not become discouraged in doing good, in serving others. For in due time, we will reap a harvest if we don't become weary and quit. Verse 10, so then, while we have opportunity, let's do good to all people. Now, let me pause there. This is an important point, because at the beginning of this text, Paul said to Christians, if, if, if you come across a Christian that's in sin, you know, help them along. And, and now he says, do good to all people. So what Paul is saying is everything he's just told us in terms of what a a spirit-filled person does, we're supposed to do that not only with our Christian friends, but we're supposed to do that with our non-Christian friends. We're supposed to be this way to all people. We're supposed to be this way to the people in your relational world, and we, we call that oikos here. You have an oikos. You have a relational world that God has supernaturally and strategically placed in your life for you to share Christ with and to show God's love to. And so within that, everything we're going to talk about today is for Christian friends and friends and family that don't know Christ. And especially to those, Paul says, who are of the household of faith or or Christians. All right, so we're going to answer the question today, what does a spirit-filled person do? What is it it that Paul says a Christian does? I want to give you four suggestions. The the first thing is a a spirit-filled person restores others. A spirit-filled person restores others. Okay, Jesus is God. Jesus was God in heaven. And Jesus came to the earth. He took on flesh and blood. He became a human person to die on the cross for a purpose. 
to restore broken humanity. To restore them to what? What was Jesus coming to restore humanity to? Well, first of all, to restore them to their relationship with God because sin had separated us from a relationship with God. So Jesus came to reconcile us or to restore that relationship. He also came to make it possible through his forgiveness and the power of the Holy Spirit to live the life that God intended for humanity before sin came into the picture and ruined everything. So you now in Christ are restored in your relationship to God and you're restored in your relationship with other people because Jesus comes to to heal the brokenness in your life, to restore what sin lost so that you can live the life that God intended before sin came into the world. Does that make sense? So let me ask a question. If that was Jesus' mission and the spirit of Jesus is now living in you, what's your mission? If the mission of Jesus was to restore a broken world, if Christ now lives in you, then you are motivated by that same mission. Jesus is living his mission out through your life. Here's what Paul says in verse one. Brothers and sisters, if any person is caught in any sin, you who are spiritual of the spirit are to restore such a person in a spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to yourself so that you are not tempted as well. The word restore there that's translated restore in our English Bibles is the Greek word katartizo, katartizo. And you know what it means? It means to make perfect, to make perfect. It means to, it means to take what is broken and to put it back together or to fix it. And, and in the Bible and in secular Greek, uh, there's a number of word pictures in terms of definitions for that. So when we go to the Old Testament, what does this word restore mean? In Ezra chapter 4, it's used to describe the, rebuildings of, the rebuilding of the walls in Jerusalem that had been broken down. So the, these huge stones and walls that surrounded and protected the city of Jerusalem had been destroyed by the Babylonians, burned with fire. They were, they were just ash now, completely destroyed. So Ezra and Nehemiah went back to, to restore or rebuild the walls, to bring them back to their original condition. That's what the word restore means. In the New Testament, it's used in the Gospels to talk about fishermen mending their nets in Matthew chapter 4. So fishermen would be out, their nets would be uh, you know, adversely affected by the salt water, they'd weaken, they'd have a great catch of fish, and the pressure of the weight of the fish would burst the nets, and so the fishermen would have to mend the nets, sew the nets back together to restore them to their original condition. That's what it means in this verse, to, to restore. In secular Uh, Greek, non-biblical Greek, the word was also used to talk about setting a broken bone. So if you broke a bone and you'd have to put that in a cast or some sort of immobilize it in a splint or something, it would allow the bone to grow back in in a healthy way. It would restore the break. So when Paul is talking about restoring people's lives, he's talking about us looking around us and seeing that people are broken because of sin in the world. And we're to have an awareness of what's going on around us, an awareness that people are hurting, people are broken, people are, they're caught in sin. And we are to, we are to try to heal that. We are to try to, to fix the break, whether it's mending the net, rebuilding the wall, or setting the bone, the broken bone, back in place so that person can come to wholeness. But it's always with an attitude of humility, an attitude that says, I'm not better than this person. 
An attitude that says, I'm not, I'm not above the, the thing that they're struggling with. I, I'm not above the temptation to sin that, that they're in. So Paul, at the very end of verse 1, says this. He says, each one looking to yourself so that you are not tempted as well. So, so we are seeking to, to heal people that are broken, broken emotionally, uh, broken relationally, broken physically in whatever areas. We, we are to seek to heal and restore broken lives. The next thing Paul says is how we do that. And so spirit-filled people serve gently. Spirit-filled people serve gently. What does it mean to be gentle? If you go back to chapter five, that was one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You read that word and you say, well, that's, that's something the Holy Spirit does, but actually, what does it mean? How do I live in gentleness? I want to I suggest three thoughts. I'm sure there's way more than that. Three thoughts concerning this thing called gentleness. The first is, and I love the, I love the secular Greek language picture of restore with the broken bone, because when you break a bone and you're trying to, to fix it or, or cast it or whatever you need to do, you've got to be tender with that. So the first thing related to, to gentleness is tenderness, like treating that person tenderly. The, the one that's broken, ma- making sure you're not being harsh, but part of gentleness is speaking tenderly. It's dealing tenderly with them. It, it also has to do with being, being non-offensive or making them feel shame for what they're going through. Like, like I, you know, I can't believe you're, you're doing that. Like, why, how could you possibly live like that? That, that attitude that, that shames them for the, the snare that they're caught in. One of the aspects of gentleness is not shaming people for whatever they're struggling with. And, and the third element I want to bring out related to, to gentleness is compassion. Compassion is, is a genuine feeling of, of sorrow or hurt that someone else is going through a difficult time. As you read the Gospels, often it would say Jesus was moved with compassion. He was moved internally. He felt it. He felt bad that people were blind. He felt bad that, that people were lame. He felt bad that, 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 that people had demonic problems. And so he healed them because he was moved emotionally at a deep level with compassion. That's part of gentleness. So I'm going to give you two different pictures, two different experiences in the doctor's office. And then we're going to talk about it. Okay, so you, you're young and you're in good health, right? I'm assuming. Okay, so you're young and in good health, and you're at your house, and you're on a stepladder in your house, either fixing a light bulb, changing a light bulb, hanging something on the wall, getting something out of the closet, but you're on the step stool, you hear something behind you, and you turn around, and you lose your balance, and you fall off the stepladder, on your hand, full weight, and you hear something pop. And you're like, oh, no. And so like all, all of us do, when, when our spouse or whoever says, you need to go to the doctor, we say, no, I'm good, I'm good. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait and see what happens. And so in 30 minutes, it's, it's just ballooned out. It's purple. And you're like, yeah, this, this doesn't feel real good. And they're like, you need to go to the doctor. You're like, I'm going to wait. So you wait another day. And the next day, it's worse. It's black now. And it's swollen more than before. And you can't even hardly move it. You didn't sleep at all. And they say, you need to go to the doctor. I'm going to wait, wait one more day, right? I'm going to just see, you know, I'm going to see where this goes. And so the next day, it's horrible, and even you have to humble yourself before the pain and bow down and say, I give in. I'm going to go to the doctor. 
So you go to the doctor, uh, you're, you're in his examination room, and, and the doctor comes in with this chart. This is doctor number one. Doctor number one comes in, and he says, uh, he says hey, I, I see that you messed up your hand. He, How'd you do it? Oh, it's kind of embarrassing, Doc. I was on a stepladder in my house. I heard something behind me, and I, I fell, lost my balance, and fell. And he goes, how old are you? And you say, such and such, I'm this old. He goes, you know what? At your age and with your level of coordination, I would, I would stay off of stepladders. <laughs> I, I would avoid them. With, with your mental and physical condition, I wouldn't even get on one ever, <laughs> ever again. He goes, let, let me see it. He grabs your hand and pulls it to you. You're like, wait, no. And he goes, looks all right to me. I, I, I don't think it's broken or anything. Just some, some Tylenol for pain. And, uh, and next time, don't waste the copay. You, know, don't, you don't need to come in for stuff like this. Um, doctor number one. Doctor number two, same situation. You're in the examination room. He knocks on the door. You say, come in. He walks in. He's got his chart. He says, I see, I see that you messed your hand up. How'd you do it? Ah, oh, doc, it's really embarrassing. I was on the stepladder. Heard something behind me, and I fell full weight right on my hand. Heard something pop. He goes, oh, man. He goes, he goes I did that like, like three months ago. He goes, that's so easy. He goes, you're not even going to believe how many people come in here with broken wrists because they fell off a stepladder. Man, it happens. It happens all the time. He says, can you, can you put it on, the, on, the, on this pad on the table for me so I can look at it? So you walk over and you, you put it on the table on the pad and, and he begins to, does that hurt? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. How about that? Okay, can you, can you move your hand at all? Can you bend? Oh, that's enough. If it's painful, I don't want you to have to do that. He goes, we need to, we need to x-ray that. Uh, I want to see, he goes, there's so many bones in the hand, so many small bones in the hand, it's so easy to break them. The problem is if you break some of those bones and you don't get it fixed, you don't get it casted or whatever, it's going to grow back wrong and you're going you're to suffer for the rest of your life. Um, I can give you some, some pain meds for that if you'd like. Um, so I can give you a prescription. Uh, unfortunately, you're going to be off work for a couple of days here until that begins to heal up. We'll get the results. Man, I am so, so sorry uh, that you had to deal with that. Doctor number one, doctor number two. Who displayed gentleness in that situation? <laughs> no shame. Didn't make you feel stupid. Was tender with the wound. Compassionate. Man, I'm so sorry. And you know what? Lots of people do this. Lots of people fall into this and make that mistake. That's gentleness. And Paul says when you are going about helping to fix people's lives, helping to serve them in whatever discomfort or sin or whatever they're caught in, you do it with gentleness. Number three, spirit-filled people uh, not only restore others and not only serve gently, but they carry burdens. Spirit-filled people carry burdens. Here's what Paul says in verse four. I'm sorry, verse two. Carry each other's burdens or bear one another's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ or fulfill the, the law or the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life. Carry each other's burdens. It, it's, a, it's a different word for burden than it is for sin that Paul used in verse one. Uh, the, the, the verse for if anyone is caught in a transgression or a wrongdoing, that was, that was kind of like they're, they're, they're struggling with obeying God. They're struggling with doing something that God wants them to do. That word burden is, is a much broader general word. It just means struggle. It means the weight of life. If they're dealing with pressures and challenges and struggles, they're, they're just going through a hard time in life, you need to carry that burden. The word for carry there is, 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 is it means not putting a Band-Aid on an infected sore, okay? which we tend to do, don't we? Oh, oh, so I'll pray for you. That's a Band-Aid. Now, prayer's good, 
but, but you're, you're messed up. And they just say, ah, oh, sorry, dude. Yeah, I'll, I'll keep you on my list. Carrying a burden is not putting a Band-Aid on an infected sore. Carrying the burden is dealing with the infection. It's dealing with the pus, it's dealing with the mess, it's dealing with the soreness, it's dealing with the root cause of why they have a problem in their life. Scott McKnight says this about that word. He says, we we have to envision the restorer as a person who undertakes not only, uh, who undertakes not only to point out problems and sins or to identify them, but also to carry the responsibility of helping that person become free of the entanglement. Do you see the difference? One just says, that's wrong. One just points out the problem. The other works at getting the person free from the problem. And I'm not sure the church is always great at carrying burdens. Historically, I think we've been good at pointing them out, pointing out the problem. You're this or you're that. To carry the burden is to, is to go much further. It, it's one thing to, to point out to people that abortion is wrong. And biblically and morally, it is wrong. It's another thing to come alongside that woman or that couple and do everything you can to serve them and bear the burden, get to the root of why they're considering that decision. And offering opportunities like adoption or, or financial help or whatever it's going to take to, to maybe move them to not make that decision. It's, it's bearing the weight with them. You know, we can complain or well, I don't know what side you are on, on the whole immigration issue on our southern border. Build the wall, just build it bigger, keep them out. Okay, we have laws and laws need to be followed. And, and there is a process of naturalization in our country. And so until we change those policies, we need to, to hold to those policies. But, but build the wall is sort of putting a band-aid on an infection. Paul says carry the burden. What about the, what about the, the suffering destroyed refugee? What, what about the need to care for them? What, what about the need in this time of desperation for them, whether they're coming from a war-torn country or a poverty-stricken country, or whatever it is, what about carrying the burden until our government can figure out the solution? What are we doing humanitarian, in a humanitarian sense? That's what I'm talking about, carrying these burdens for people that are suffering and struggling in life. It's not just to say, well, you know, there's a law. There is a law. But that doesn't remove the suffering. That doesn't remove the damage that's been done. And I want you to see that being a spirit-filled believer means carrying, bearing burdens for people that they can't bear by themselves. And those are two extreme measures, abortion and the immigration issue. But you've got people in your relational world that need you to carry some of the weight of their struggle. It's not just, let me put a Band-Aid on this and I'll pray for you. No, it's, it's get in the infection. Get involved in their life and try to, try to lighten their load so that they can get untangled from that thing. And the fourth thing that spirit-filled people do is they avoid comparisons. They restore others by serving them gently. They bear burdens, carry burdens, and they avoid comparisons. Verse four. Paul says, pay careful attention to yourself, your own life, for then you will get satisfaction of a job well done. I became the person God wanted me to be. I, 
You know, I've, I've, I've served God and his purpose for my life. And there's satisfaction in that. When you find that satisfaction, you, you don't need to compare yourself to anybody else. Friends, can, can we just be honest for a minute? That we spend so much of our time in comparison. Comparing ourselves always to people that have more and being bitter. And then competing with them to become better looking than them. To, to get better grades than them, to be more popular than them, to be wealthier than them. And we're constantly in the sense of competition. And Paul says if you, if you manage your own life, you're gonna find the fulfillment of simply following what God wants you to do and the affirmation of God in your life just for being obedient to him. Wherever you end up, there, there's, there's no need for comparison. And yet we live so much of our lives the way we dress, the cars we drive, the houses we live in, how much of that is rooted in comparison? Paul says, you be you. You be the you that God created. You be the you, the best version that, that God wants you to be. And don't worry about comparison, because if you're worried, you're not gonna serve them. You're gonna serve yourself. So you can be better than them. So I shared with you that I'm getting better at this. I, I mean, I am a competitive person. And I'm getting better at, at learning to not be so competitive to make myself look good, but, but actually being able to, to serve other people. So last weekend, I ran a half marathon with my daughter, Shannon. And, and it was down in San Diego. The whole goal, the whole goal of this endeavor was for she and I to spend time together, for she and I to train and to run this race, to, to run it together step by step, to get to the finish line, raise our hand for the picture, get the photo op, and then say, we did it, yay, aren't, aren't we happy and every, that we did it? And that was the whole point. And we talked about it, and we talked about it, and we talked about it. That was the goal. Okay, so I'm 60, which means I'm in the, the young part of my age group usually like 60 to 69. So in that race, for I'm competing against really old guys, right? <laughs> so the competitive part says, I could finish pretty high in my class, right? That wasn't, remember, that wasn't the goal. The goal was to run the race together. The, the goal was to finish with my daughter, raise our hand at the finish line, get the picture, say we did it together, right? So we, we start off and we're, we're going well and, and just a little bit into that, Shannon said, Dad, I gotta go to the bathroom. I'm okay. So there's porta potties all along the route and so she pulls over and, and she's going to the bathroom and I'm thinking, <laughs> okay, our goal was and my goal was and, but it's okay. 30 minutes later or so, she came out, she, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Just a couple minutes later, she came out of the bathroom and we, and we run again step by step. We're, we're running the race and, and about the 10 mile mark, she hit the wall a little bit and got tired. We had to stop, we had to walk um, and, uh, and get some Gatorade and water and she got a little dizzy and, and we walked through that, talked through that and I encouraged her and, she, and we finished, we finished. Well, my son JT, he knows I'm competitive and he knows there were probably some issues going on with me during, during the race. <laughs> He found a picture, I don't know if he took it or if he found, somewhere he found it, and I've got this really weird, complex, contorted look on my face. And so he sends that picture, he texts that picture to Shannon and I, and he says this, dad doing the math on minutes lost in the porta potty. <laughs> T 
too much truth in that. There's, there's way, way too much truth in that. But we ran the race together step by step. We finished the race. We got to hold our hands up together, say, we did it. We, we finished the race. And it was all good. And do you, do you know what I learned? There is so much more fulfillment in serving my daughter, in coaching her, in encouraging her, than beating a bunch of old men. (laughs) There just was. And what a lesson for life. If my world and my life is caught up in me and me being better than people, I'm never going to find the joy of the Lord. I'm never going to find the joy that God intends for my life by serving the people around me. And I'm telling you, friends, so, so much more joy by serving her in that moment than, than finishing higher in my, I mean, it's not even a comparison. How about you? Have you found that joy? The, the joy of the Holy Spirit that comes with serving the people around you? Now, Paul finishes this letter. He comes to the end of this and and he wants us to to think through the eyes of eternity. And so we read this in verses seven to nine as he closes it out. He said, don't be misled. Don't be fooled. You can't mock the justice of God. What God says is true. You will always harvest what you plant. You'll reap what you sow. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest eternal life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what's good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. What's the harvest that Paul is talking about? It's not a harvest in this life. It's the harvest that we are going to reap in eternity after we die. And he says, what you plant in this life determines the harvest. If the seed that you're sowing is a life of self-centeredness, a life of self-serving, if it's a life without the Holy Spirit, then, then what you're going to reap after you die is a harvest of eternal corruption. You're going to die separate from God. You're going to reap what you sowed in this life. On the other hand, if you give your life to Christ, you surrender it to him, And you live in the freedom that he gives you through the Holy Spirit. And you live a life of of sowing or planting of the Spirit, meaning you, you follow the Spirit, you serve other people, you lay your own needs and desires aside, and you live that kind of life. When you die, excuse me, you're gonna reap an eternal harvest of life with God. You choose. Paul says you choose. Sow to the flesh, sow to yourself, reap corruption in the next life. Sow to the Spirit and reap life with God. Friends, what's your choice? Have you made that decision? That by faith, you you can't save yourself from sin. Only Christ can offer forgiveness. Have you accepted his forgiveness? Have you received the Holy Spirit? And are you living a life of planting those seeds, following the Spirit, serving others or is it just about you would you bow your heads with me this morning if you're here this morning Paul would invite you he would say you can have a harvest of eternal life with God in heaven 
by surrendering your life to Christ. And if you'd like to do that this morning, I invite you to pray with me. Say, say, Lord, I know that I've lived in selfishness. I know that I've rejected you. And I've just, I've gone my own way. But Lord, you came to the earth and you died on the cross to restore me. To restore my brokenness and my separation from you. Jesus, I need you to forgive me today. I trust you. And Jesus, would you give me your Holy Spirit to change me? to make me think differently and live differently so I can walk in freedom. Lord, I I love you. I I want you in my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Most of us have already made that decision. And so where are you today? Remember in verse 10, Paul said, so then as we have opportunity, And we have opportunity every day. Let us do good to everybody. Let us restore people's lives. Let us restore people with gentleness. Let's let's carry their burdens. How could your life be different this week if you applied this text to your life? You have a relational world. You have people in your life that God has strategically placed for you to to share Christ with, to restore, to heal, to deliver. What if you stepped into that? What if you stepped into your divine purpose this week and discovered the joy of a selfless life and a life directed by the Spirit? Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for the book of Galatians. Thank you for its message of freedom. Lord, would you, in your mercy, continue to heal us, continue to restore the brokenness in our own lives? Give us humility, Lord, so that when we come across broken people, we can touch their lives with gentleness, carry their burdens with gratefulness. Help us, Lord, step into our world this week, empowered by the Holy Spirit to live differently. Let us show people what the Holy Spirit is really like. In Christ's name, amen. Two thoughts before you leave. If if you have a prayer request, you can drop that off in the box on the way out. Second thing is, if you made a decision today to to, to put your trust in Christ, I don't want you to leave. We're going to have some folks up here to pray. I want you to come forward and share with them that you made that decision. Or if you're here today and you know Christ, but there's, there's a burden or something in your life that you'd like prayer for, We've got folks that would love to pray for you today and and kind of bear that burden with you. God bless you guys. Have a great, great Sunday.